The Mighty Waters Podcast, helping you unlock the power of your people. Hello and welcome to the Mighty Waters Podcast. My name is Marie Toyne and you're listening to Millennial Voices, episode two. So you might be wondering why millennials, if you haven't listened to episode one, I'll give you a quick summary of why we're doing a series all about millennials. Well, by 2020, those born between 1990 and 2000 are going to make up 50% of the workplace. And most of this generation is already part of the workforce and loads of research and studies show that millennials have needs and desires for the workplace not yet met by many companies. So one could conclude from that that in order to stay competitive and attain and retain millennial talent, it's crucial for organisations to adapt and change in order to provide an environment where every generation can thrive. And I'm interested in knowing what this ideal workplace looks like for millennials. What should leaders consider changing and what is it that millennials want? Where does it come from? And I've read and written a lot on this topic. If you're interested, you can download my white paper, Millennials at Work, completely free via the Mighty Waters website or the link found in the description to this episode. Um, But uh, in this episode, uh, before I ramble on too much, I sit down with Lucy White, um, who you'll find out more about, and talk to her specifically about her experience of managing millennials and as a millennial herself, what her views are on what the ideal manager for a millennial looks like. Um, So let's just delve straight in. Here it is. Hi Lucy. Hi. So Lucy, you haven't had a traditional or classic career journey so far, but tell me a little more about how you ended up where you are now. Yes, so right now I work uh, for a social impact fund and I also run a charity that I founded back at uni. But my path there I suppose wasn't traditional. I studied a lot of music when I was in my teenage years and always thought I would go down that path. Um, But actually growing up in Cambridge, we had all these great opportunities to, you know, either work on the punts or work (laughs) for these really cool tech businesses. So I had really great summers working in a couple of businesses in Cambridge. And it got me so interested in startups, in business and entrepreneurship. So my first job after uni, I devoted one day to the charity that I'd founded and the rest of my time I spent at a medical devices startup, which was really cool. (laughs) They were doing medical robotics and um, I was there really early on with the founding team. So that taught me loads about startup life, fundraising, marketing, branding, robots. (laughs) And we did a lot of hiring, actually, a lot of hiring of graduates and engineers. Uh, And then after that, I moved to get a bit more of a bird's eye view of the tech world to... Uh, a tech bank in the city which was really fun worked with founders and VC funds and helped the marketing and sales team there uh, and then moved over more re- recently to the social impact side awesome working full-time and then also leading a team on the side for more precious uh, which is the name of the blog and um, so that must be a lot of hard work <laughs> um, and am I right in thinking that everyone on team except for the board they're all millennials yes they're all millennials we have a team of volunteers and all of them and the majority of our audience are millennials wow 
Amazing. So I'd love to hear your experience around leading this team. You know, our, our generation, as I'm sure you know, has been labelled entitled. Has that been your experience? Mm, do you know, I've heard that word used so much <laughs> in my earshot and I never know what that's, where that's come from and what that means. And um, to my mind, the word entitled does come across you know, a bit spoiled, um, having expectations of rising really fast. And actually, in the content, in the context of the More Precious team, honestly, they've been the opposite of entitled because they've been working as volunteers. They've all had full-time jobs, full-time degrees, and they've poured so much energy into the vision. And um, so I think, you know, to, to do that and to invest your kind of time and your energies and your mm-hmm. skill set totally unpaid you've got to be very driven and, and motivated and I, and I wouldn't say my experience has been entitled um, looking outside of the context of the team I think there are differences in our generation uh, I think one of the big things is if you are among the top graduates at you know the top universities you will be really sold to at graduate fairs and you know the top consultancies and banks will come in and promise you this dream job and the the top one percent will end up in these amazing high flyer jobs and i know for a lot of my friends who have ended up in these jobs you arrive on day one and by week three you know after your kind of trip to new york or your golden Mm -hmm. hello you're actually then working on excel at 8 30 at night and suddenly a sense of disillusionment comes because you think is this it? Am mm. I the best of the best? Is this what a high-flying job looks like? And I think that's where there's sometimes miscommunication between those expectations. Okay. And um, so if this is the case, what do you recommend managers or companies do? Yeah, not an easy fix, I grant <laughs> that. Um, in my limited experience of working with millennials and managing a team... I think what really matters to people is, number one, being recognised for the work you're doing. I think that's the same across the board. Uh, Being recognised for the energy that tasks involve, even if they are boring, uh, never taking people's time for granted. I think secondly, you know, right at the start, really justifying why is this work important? Why is a project important for the business? How will it impact the team? You know, why do you as a manager think it's important? And why especially do you think this person can do the job? And I think thirdly, you know, actually involving them in that decision, not just assuming that their labour is free to be used and used and used, but actually saying, you know, how do you feel about this project? Can you see yourself flourishing with it? Do you feel supported enough to run with this project? And that will give them a sense of ownership over, over the work they're doing. So would you say that, kind of looking at all the things you've just said, one of the overarching sort of things that has come up is this component of kind of keeping millennials engaged is sort of to communicate purpose and vision to them? Mm, Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think leading the charity that I'm involved with has been a real lesson on this front. Uh, I actually never thought of it as leadership until someone came and asked for my advice and I really panicked and thought Mm -hmm. oh my goodness am I a leader am I doing a good job I don't know and I actually read a lot asked for a lot of advice and um, one girl who mentored me 
kind of said, you know what, this is one of the hardest challenges you'll get in leadership. None of your team are paid. None of them are tied in legally, contractually. There is nothing stopping them walking away except for a really good vision. Mm. So then it just showed me, actually, do you know what, this is working. You know, we've we've had most of the team stay for four or five years now wow. as volunteers. So you've got to think, okay, the vision must be working. How do you do that? It's communicating to people what is the impact you're having, um, you know, is there a clear direction of where we're going as a team? Are you investing into them as people? And I think when you have that and people feel valued and seen, there is a lot of loyalty. Mm. Um, there's so many good things that you've just said, and I just really would love to unpack those. You mentioned really briefly sort of dignity. What do you mean by dignity? I think, you know, in every job, there are aspects of the job that are more boring you know mm. even in the best jobs in the world there's admin or there's travel or there's things that nobody else really wants to do and I think it's not about pretending those things don't exist or pretending that's the perfect role for somebody who's clearly very bright and very motivated but I think it's just saying do you know what this is part of the job I can see more in you I've got a clear direction for you I know where you're going I'm not going to pretend this work isn't quite dull for you but you know give the big picture and I think that sense of dignity goes a really long way and I also think involving the team in decision making around projects uh you know giving them exposure to high profile projects actually being a really humble leader saying you know I I could probably do this bit of work a little bit faster than you but I'm going to give you this platform to stand on to give you better exposure in our business and you know take a bit of a risk on you I think that goes a long way and I mean I would agree with this completely so from my experience when a manager has involved me in kind of bigger decision making um, I just feel really valued I feel like I have ownership and I'm part I have belonging in the team and I feel really listened to and which actually brings me to the next thing that you said which is feedback Mm. explain a bit more about that yes feedback um I think I think feedback is so important because you know at face value people always cringe a little bit at feedback it's never completely comfortable (laughs) to get feedback and I actually think sometimes millennials you might not have got a lot of feedback from your friends or your parents growing up it depends what environment that was for you people aren't always used to feedback and can sometimes see it as criticism but I think creating an environment that is really safe between you as a leader and your team um, saying do you know what I'm going to champion you as much as I can but to do that I believe in you enough to give you feedback and I don't just mean you know raise your voice a bit more in meetings I mean really measured feedback you know consistently every week following up Mm. with them and saying you know I think you're worth this feedback I wouldn't give this feedback to somebody I don't think can go the distance and I think you if you start creating that culture you just know that actually you're being sharpened by your manager and you're getting better and even if the work is boring at times or the hours are long you're getting more than just job satisfaction you yourself are Mm. growing as a leader and I think that's a really important environment to create that's super interesting and um, 
Yeah, absolutely. And we've already touched upon kind of the clear communication around direction and vision. But I mean, is there any advice or practical tips that you've been given or that you sort of know from experience mm-hmm. when it comes to effectively communicating these? Uh, I I think it's, it's about, again, setting that big picture. Um, if you don't have maybe you're not in control of your entire company's vision but maybe you manage a team and you can say okay here's the vision of our multinational company here's the vision of our you know department and then about our team of five here's our vision and then you kind of drill down to where you fit in that and I think that for me has worked quite well with people set the big vision and then show them how they can contribute and show them where their work is making an impact within that so a simple job description probably isn't that helpful no and I, do you know what? I think that changes and I think you know if, if people are too rigid on that you can always just come back and say oh it's not on my job description where if you've got a vision you know it's the whole thing of kind of if you want to what is it if you want to teach a man to sail no <laughs> it's the whole thing of if you want to teach a man to build a boat teach him to long for the sea you know don't give him a manual of here's how you build the boat, one, two, three, and if you miss out, step three. You know, teach them to long for the sea. And I think it's that vision of saying, do you know what, I think you're smart enough to get there yourself and you'll have more buy-in from the team if they get there themselves. So just to recap, um, you've talked about involvement in decision-making, feedback, and just clarity on purpose and direction. So why do you think these are important for our generation specifically? I think it's important you know, to think about where have we come from, what have we grown up with, what are the wider factors at play, and there are so many. I think one of them is that actually we've all grown up with the idea of the entrepreneur being really aspirational. Um, I think my grandparents' generation, it was a little bit more risky, you know, and whereas yeah. we've grown up with a kind of Steve Jobs and the Richard Bransons and lots of innovations and Facebook, you know, I think for us... Um, we have broader horizons to what we could do with our time. You know, you could be a vlogger, which didn't exist 20 years ago. You could start a business from your desk. So I think the the opportunities are so many. And the world's your oyster. The world's your oyster, <laughs> yeah. And so actually, you, I think we've been brought up to be a little bit more discerning in, in terms of how we can apply our skills and talents. I think also, you know, we were the first generation to grow up with mobile phones in our pockets, so we could facts check and even at school we were taught to be really critical in our reading and to you know question the information that's coming your way Uh, we saw our parents kind of take ppi scams or you know email Mm. scams and i think it's made us really discerning as customers you know is this company doing what it's saying it's doing are these claims true and i think that's made us a lot i think that's made us different in the way we apply for jobs and we measure up job offers and company values and vision and I actually also think you know we a lot of us entered into a job market that was pretty unpredictable and quite unstable from the crash to Brexit and just a really competitive job market and I think we're not actually joining a company now at 21 and expecting to stay till we retire we're not necessarily looking for those longer term options like pensions or kind of loyalty over 50 years or so. We're actually looking for a place that's a bit more of a lifestyle choice 
we're working really long hours and we blend work and life a lot more. You know, you take your emails home in a way that our grandparents never did. So for us, I think it's a bit more of a lifestyle choice, which is why being involved with the decisions, having a clear purpose at work is really important. That's fascinating. And taking all of those things in particular consideration mm-hmm. that you've just mentioned, um, do you, from your own experience, is there someone in your life who has role modelled management um, or a company perhaps that mm-hmm. has role modelled this really well to you? Yeah, I've had some great managers, very, very different. Hmm. Um, my first manager was the CEO of this startup I joined right after graduating. And he was very big on feedback, very clear talking. And I think for me as a, you know, at school I was always kind of, you get your grades back and you see your ticks and you know you're doing well. And in the workplace you don't get that. And actually he taught me, he was saying, do you know what, we're gonna be on short circuits here. If you're not doing a good job, it won't be a surprise to you at your end of year review. We're gonna keep a short feedback loop and I'm gonna really invest in you. So he was very straight talking and he just modeled out the vision. You know, it was so clear where we were going and he took everyone with him. I think as a, as a contrast, I had another manager who was also brilliant and she, I suppose, is a lot more similar to me, but every week she would sit me down and say, okay, here's some opportunities where you can get exposure to this senior management um, team, you know, and here's a project I think you'd be really good at and where are we going and are you getting training? And she'd give me books to read and, do you know, that was like mm. such gold investment into me and even though, you know, some weeks she could say, okay, we've got this horrible project for you to do <laughs> and I'd spent hours on spreadsheets. It was worth it because I knew I was valued and I knew that she saw my work and she saw my future and potential. And actually both those companies I left not because of my choice but just because of circumstances and it's kept me really loyal to them because I left so well and they were excited about my future and I just think that's a really good measure of attracting millennials attracting them and retaining them and if you invest well into them amazing so if I've you know if if an employer asked you so for your three top tips on attaining um, or attracting and retaining millennials, what would they be? Mm. Well, number one, I've said it so much, I feel it should be number one, <laughs> is, um, <laughs> is vision. You know, what are you driving towards? Not just this year, but, you know, in this quarter or even this week with your team. You know, do you bring that energy to your team? I think that goes a long way retaining millennials. Um, and I always love the kind of weird saying, it's vision leaks. So, <laughs> I know, it sounds a bit weird, but I think it's true from experience. You as the manager, you have the vision, and you say it, and you think everyone's heard it, and you think, great, they'll be motivated for another three months. Yeah. And then next week, someone comes back, you know, really deflated, and you think, how oh, have you forgotten already? But actually, vision leaks, and it's true, and you've got to be really consistently sharing that vision, investing into the people around you, because, you know, life happens, circumstances change, work piles up, and you forget the vision. So that would be number one. Secondly, feedback. Like I said, care enough about the millennials under your leadership to give them really considered and measurable feedback and actually follow up on it. Um, Show people that actually you care enough about their progression to take a bit of a risk on them and to cover their mistakes, 
like a good manager, but also give them the platform to shine um, when that is available. And then finally, I guess, you know, it's always easy to say, be visionary and all of this. And actually that takes really good leaders at every level of your organization. Even if you have a fantastic visionary CEO, you're gonna need a pretty good management team under them and excellent middle managers before you often reach the millennials in those junior roles in your organizations. So I think it's worth investing into leaders at every stage, you know, from the ground up, who are you raising? What values are you instilling across the board? Um, and be serious about developing people's emotional intelligence and leadership skills. Um, and, you know, I think people sometimes think, oh gosh, I need a huge budget to do that. Do you know what, you can start small, you can give books to your team, or you can share TED Talks every Friday, or you can just show that actually you're thinking longer term than this week's to-do list. Yeah. And are there, I mean, you just mentioned resources like books or TED Talks, so are there any in particular that you would recommend when it comes to specifically sort of managing a millennial team? Mm. I think I love the TED Talk um, by Angela Duckworth, and she's written a book actually as well, and it's called Grit. Uh, And I think actually to to read, but also to give to millennials and your team, it's all about how talent can only get you so far, but actually hard work is really important. I think that's sometimes quite a sobering read if you've been brought up as a millennial, being told you can do everything if you're gifted. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Uh, Covers a lot of what I just mentioned. And I suppose, I mean, this would come from my own experience, but... um, my manager actually gave me a book called Drop the Ball, which sounds a little bit unhelpful. You're thinking, oh my goodness, I don't want my team to drop the ball. <laughs> but it was really helpful for me. You know, I'm a millennial. I want to achieve things. I can try and do too much and be quite hard on myself if I don't manage it. And she gave this to me, which was a really wise choice, I think. And Drop the Ball is by a lady called Tiffany Dufu. And it's all about focusing on the, you know, priorities that really matter and doing them really well so as a little bit of a curveball I think (laughs) drop the ball (laughs) love it well thank you Lucy I definitely have to get myself a copy of that um but thank you so much for your time it was really interesting chatting to you oh thank you so much and that concludes our second episode with the lovely Lucy White and if managing millennials uh, is a challenge for your organisation, then do let us know because here at Mighty Waters, we can help you make the most of your people. So start a conversation with us today via our website, www.mightywaters.co.uk. You can also find a link in the description to this episode. And if you want to read more about the studies and insights out there on millennials, why not download my white paper, Millennials at Work? You can also find the link to it in the description to this episode. Until next time. So for episode three, I chat to Mira all about diversity and inclusion in the workplace. It's a fantastic episode. I highly recommend it. Um, So do go on and listen to that. Until next time, work well.